Previously on The J Luck Club. Dalbat! In July of 2000, after spending three amazing years living in Japan, I overstuffed a large backpack and set off to wander around Asia. My initial plan was to travel until the money ran out. Dalbat! Dear sirs, it is with heavy heart and deep regrets that I must inform you I will be unable to attend this year's Camel Festival in Pushkar, India. Time constraints and other factors have resulted in this unfortunate situation. As things go, however, my India visa will not be approved for another week. Dalbat. And, and then, and then you, you go to the next paragraph, my ear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the lower lobe is just peachy and has been for some time. For future reference, it's a good place to pierce. <laughs> as far as the upper ear, I don't think a single 12 hours period went by where I didn't somehow snag it or yank it in some excruciatingly painful manner. Number one. Welcome back to all of you, great members of the J Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. What is Honey Roasted T-Shirts, you may ask? Well, if you head on over to HoneyRoastedT-Shirts.com, you'll discover two things. One, they don't make T-Shirts, but if they did, they'd be Honey Roasted. And two, the J Luck Club podcast, episodes, pictures, the emails, and extras. If you haven't visited, please check it out. You can also leave a comment or drop me a line at thejluckclub at honeyroastedtshirts.com. You can also find all episodes of this podcast at thejluckclubpodcast.com. But if you simply subscribe to it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, then you won't even have to do any of what I just said. Just wake up, open your podcast app, and bam, it'll be there for you as soon as it's available. So, dear members... And yes, if you can hear my voice, you are a member in good standing. For me, what's been most enjoyable about this podcast is that I've had such a genuine thrill watching, or, or listening, to how this has all been unfolding. Much like the trip I took 20 years ago, in spite of initial plans and ideas, the results have been nothing at all like what I would have predicted. From the episode content itself, or the kind words and notes which I've received from you, as always, thanks for your support. I've got a shorter one for you today, though I thought that last one would be short, and in the end I had to cut out large bits just to get it down to the length it was. But that's the beauty of this project. I've set no rules, no episode minimum or maximum length, no ratio for comedy to preachy life-purpose rants. Most episodes end up nothing like I thought they would when I started. But I'm okay with that. In fact, I love it. Certain only of the uncertainty which lies ahead. When we last left off, I was back in Kathmandu, and having arrived too late on a Friday to submit my Indian visa application, was looking at a 10-day wait until I could cross over into India. This delay, I'm using air quotes, coupled with my dwindling budget, forced me to think hard about how to spend my time and money wisely to still have the trip and live the life that I wanted. Note, for all you fact-checkers out there, at the beginning of this email, I made a mistake regarding Nepal's time zone, an offset from Greenwich Mean Time, but I corrected myself 20 years ago in a follow-up email, so you can just wait until the next episode. I take you now to an internet cafe in Kathmandu. 
date, Monday, November 6th. From Jay Schneider. Subject. Timingu. Timing. It's time to talk about time. First of all, Nepal is 5 hours and 15 minutes off of GMT. So let's just get that out of the way. So I've been hanging out in Kathmandu for over a week now and passing the time rather well, I must say. But I admit the last day or two I've started to get a little restless and a little antsy, apart from reading books, writing in my journal, and reading what the people next to me are typing in their emails. See, it's Japanese, so I figure I'm doing my duty to keep up with my proficiency. I've had a lot of time to think and reflect. I've told you about my luck and good timing, festivals, living goddesses, and goat sacrificing. But there's a flip side to that, the bad timing. Arriving in Kathmandu after the India visa office closes on a Friday, having to wait until Monday to begin the process, etc. I missed the Olympics this year. Completely. My volunteer project was the same two weeks as the Olympics. Also, I went into the mountains for three weeks, and when I came back, Milosevic was out. The Mideast peace process, which was all about settled and done, had already blown up, unfortunately quite literally. And now it looks as though from the moment the polls open in the states until the votes are tallied for the U.S. presidential election and the winner declared, I'll be sitting on a bus to India. But these little bits don't bother me. Heck, I can read about them after the fact. It really doesn't make too much difference. Upon returning to the states, it'll be easy enough to ask, say, who's the president these days? The poor timing comes into play regarding my trip to India. I was sitting in front of a computer with nothing to do. The Japanese person next to me had left, so I couldn't read her emails. I started surfing, as the kids call it these days, and I discovered that the entrance fees for all of India's major World Heritage sites had gone up. Now, I don't mean just a slight nudge. Admission fees, which were previously the equivalent of anywhere from $1 to $6, have all gone up to, brace yourselves, $21. And they also got rid of the free for foreigner Fridays. Perhaps that's because it's so hard to say. Go ahead, try saying it three times real fast. Free for Foreigner Fridays, free for Foreigner Fridays, free for Foreigner Fridays. Whew. As steep as that may sound, one could argue that seeing the Taj Mahal could be worth ten times that. But India is more than the Taj Mahal, and apparently more than my budget. So perhaps my trip will bypass the world heritage sites and the wonders of the world, and turn into the infinitely cheaper finding myself spiritual journey. Maybe I'll check out the Hare Krishnas. After all, I already got the haircut. Well, I gotta go reset my watch. India is 5 hours and 30 minutes off of GMT. Jay, the times they are a changin', Schneider. This email came towards the latter half of my time in Kathmandu while I was waiting for my Indian visa approval. I had entered the week concerned that filling my time with activities and adventures would burn through my limited budget, or that I'd simply just sit around in a state of limbo, spending my days in Kathmandu cafes, drinking tea while waiting for life to resume. In the end, it turned out to be a great week, from which I came away with memories I still hold dear to this day. I mentioned in the last episode that constraints can be a good thing. In fact, had budget not been a concern, I may have spent the week going on another trek or rafting trip or ventured to some other part of the country and never spent time getting to know Kathmandu. The more time you have in a place, the deeper you can go. Throughout my travels, there would be times where I would arrive in a city and could not have imagined I'd spend a week or ten days or more there. But I always ended up leaving the place deeply satisfied with the richness of the time spent and 
also a feeling I could easily return and do more. This has also helped my perspective in my current travels. Even to this day, anywhere you are, you can probably go deeper. In life, it's not just the breadth of experiences, but also the depth. So at that time, I just needed to adjust my perspective and reframe things a bit. So the first part of my week, I spent some time with Justin and Dan. You heard them in the previous episode. And actually, those first couple of days with them reminded me of the joys of getting lost in a place and just being open to adventure. We explored areas of the city well off the traveler's trail. We discovered far-out neighborhoods and, and met people we wouldn't have met had we not had the time to just wander. Though it's something I had done in other cities and places in my travels, I'd gotten myself distracted, focusing on the place I was trying to get to instead of the place where I was. Somehow, even this super-traveler, all-pro-no-amateur backpacker had briefly lost sight of things, but once I got myself back on track, I was recharged and ready and happy to be wherever I was. Though I had a couple of days with Dan and Justin, I spent most of the week solo, exploring the Kathmandu Valley and truly enjoying myself. Though I wasn't completely antisocial, by chance I ran into some people I had met on the Annapurna Trek, and I also met some locals and spent time with them. One day, while looking at a street vendor's shop to find something to cover my very bald and white and unprotected head from the sun, I befriended the owner. We got to chatting. Okay, the kid was a teenager, so maybe he wasn't the owner, but his family owned the shop. The boy and his brother invited me to come back at the end of their workday, which I did, and they took me to their home, where their mom made me, you guessed it, Dalbot, Dalbot, which actually I hadn't eaten since my trek. They even invited me back to their village. Another night, I went to their home, and we played cards late into the night. I'm, I'm still not sure the rules of the game. It seemed every time I thought I got the hang of it, the rules changed. But anyways, it was, it was a fun evening and a reminder of those experiences you can only get if you allow yourself the space and the time for those things to happen. And time, or more specifically, timing, was clearly the theme of this email. Sometimes due to chance timing, you arrive in a city at the height of a festival or happen to be sitting in the same square as some friends you hadn't seen in two months in as many countries. Sometimes timing was less fortunate, missing the chance to get my visa application in before the weekend or, as I discovered during this week, arriving in a country two weeks after they just increased the price of admission to all the sites I wanted to see. Just when I thought I had adjusted my attitude successfully and was back to my happy and carefree ways, this budget-sensitive traveler got a kick in the gut to discover that the entrance fees to Indian World Heritage sites had just increased for foreigners like 20 times higher than they'd previously been. Had I entered India a couple weeks earlier, I could have seen the Taj Mahal for 40 rupees or even free on a Friday. Now I would have to pay 960 rupees. For the record, despite my grumblings and frustration with timing and money, even at that time, I rationally and objectively understood that paying approximately 20 US dollars to not only see an incredible piece of architecture and history, but also help preserve it for future generations to see, was actually a great deal. And I would also argue that the citizens of a country should have access to their own history and culture. Remember, this price increase was for foreign visitors only. Indian citizens still had the nominal entrance fee and also free entrance days. But still, despite all this, sometimes it's just fun to vent and rant about something. Fun fact, Looking at today's entrance fee for foreigners, 1,050 rupees, and today's exchange rate to U.S. dollars, it would cost only about 14 U.S. dollars. I could also tell the Jay of 20 years ago, eh, just wait 20 years and you'll save yourself five bucks. Also on my time theme, I mentioned how I may disconnect for a few weeks, and 
When I came back up for air and went online, I would discover that some major world event had happened, good, bad, or neutral, and that I'd completely missed it. My favorite bit on this is my comment about the U.S. presidential election and how because of my travel schedule, I wouldn't know the results of the U.S. election until the morning when I arrived in Varanasi. Fun fact, for those of you not familiar with the 2000 U.S. presidential election, Hanging Chads, or Florida, 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 that year the election was not decided for over a month when the U.S. Supreme Court finally intervened and stopped the Florida recount. Okay, I need to take a quick detour and explain my subject line, lest you think I forgot how to spell or pronounce timing. For those of you not familiar with the J-pop world of the late 90s, Timing, or Timingu, was the name of a hit single by Japanese pop group Black Biscuit. I owned the CD and probably rocked it more than a dozen times at karaoke. And even to this day, when I hear the word timing, I'm probably singing Timingu in my head, or to be honest, out loud. But it wasn't just the catchy tune and choreographed dancing or low-budget video. Note, though I'm saying the video had a budget feel to it, it was filmed on the streets of New York and even includes scenes on top of the World Trade Center, so I'm sure their travel and location costs ate up all their production budget. Check it out on YouTube. For me, it was all about the whole genesis and purpose of this group. See, the group was formed by two popular Japanese comedians and a then-little-known Taiwanese singer. At the time, a new Japanese dance trio, Pocket Biscuit, had been having some success. So Black Biscuit was formed as a challenge to see who could rank higher on the Oricon charts, the music charts in Japan. So the group was formed as a challenge to try and see which group could rank higher. I absolutely love that. The idea that they started this as a challenge or almost a dare. I mean, okay, I'm adding the dare part, but there's something about that I absolutely love and respect. Though the lead singer, Vivian Su, was a singer, the two comedians were not singers by trade, and yet they formed this group. Granted, they were famous entertainers with talent and resources and connections, so it's not exactly the same as if I just decided to put together a group and challenge someone to see who could rank higher on the billboard charts. But still, the nugget I like to extract from this is the spirit of challenging yourself to just do something that may not be in your normal arena. Anyways, that's what I took away from it. Song was in my head, so that's what I called the email. I'm not done with you yet, dear listeners, and I'm going to leave you today with more from my conversation with Justin and Dan. When, when we all met, you'd been on the road for quite a while, because this is what you called the big trip. Yeah, the big trip, right. Justin had been in Southeast Asia the summer of 2000. I stayed back home because my sister got married in August, so my big trip started on September 6th. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, 2000. Okay, got it. Oh, so then that makes sense. So, so yeah, I know, Justin, you had your time like three months in Chiang Mai. or Basically, it was all in Thailand. I was doing Muay Thai. I did a Thai massage course. It was the first trip after I left Japan. Right, right. And I, I was really kind of hoping to to live somewhere and be based somewhere for a bit and sort of get a sense. And then once I got a sense of South, Southeast Asia from Chiang Mai, turns out now is like an ultimate uh, digital nomad place um, 20 years later, right? It's like the number one in the world or something I've seen on some list. But um, I did that and then uh, went to uh, Nepal. Actually, Dan had the idea of going to Nepal and we met briefly back in upstate New York where we're both from and we had sort of peripherally known each other. Uh, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into uh, traveling together. It ended up working out pretty well. Oh, wow. So you guys really didn't 
know each other well when you, I mean, you knew each other, but you had no idea how you'd travel together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We figured we would travel well because we both, we've known each other for a few years because one of Justin's college roommates is a guy who I grew up with right um, down the street from me. So he, he, Justin would come back to my neighborhood from time to time. And then, you know, I was a year ahead of him in school. So I went to Japan uh, and then a year later, he came to Japan, but he was in Osaka and I was in Tokyo. So I don't know that we ever actually did meet up. No, we never did. I, I tried one time, but uh, Dan was having uh, an episode in Tokyo. <laughs> now that's for another podcast, maybe. <laughs> but we, uh, we were in pretty constant email touch through those years. Yeah. So we sort of knew each other, even though we'd only met in person a handful of times. So well, let's let's jump back to Kathmandu for a minute. Something that you and I know I and probably other, I'll say, successful travelers understand. Uh, just being open, you know, wandering streets, getting lost. Just that's where some of our best adventures happens. I remember you had a label for it. You you called it "Let's drift." We're gonna go wander. We're gonna just be open, see what happens, and and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so much easier to do when you have a almost an unlimited time frame. I think both Dan and I were pretty much traveling until the money ran out, which meant a span of years. And, you know, so you can have some days where you just totally drift or even weeks. And Kathmandu was so conducive to that, too. Truly was. It was just perfect for it for a few days. Because there was that little bit of time. Okay, now I know I've got seven or probably longer days because of the the weekend. So what do I do? Do I want to stay in the city? Or if you're like on a vacation or a quick trip, you know, you, you hit like eight places in, you know, five days, but you're like, Am I going to spend a week here? But I'd find myself doing that all the time where you'd think, oh, I don't know how long I'll stay here. And then next thing you know, a week or two had passed and you never left the city. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then one day you showed up. This is still when Bert was around. You knocked on our door. You showed up and you had your heads shaved. And then you said, hey, Jay, you should do it too. And I said, sure. <laughs> and so then we were the three bald-headed guys wandering around. Uh, and, and again, I will say in defense of myself, it's not just that I'm open to peer pressure and cultish, but but when you said <laughs> shave your heads, I've always had a pretty cavalier attitude with my hair ready to experience. Again, that openness, whatever. So yes, when you mm. said, hey, shave your heads, sure, why not? Yeah. Do you remember what made you guys shave your heads? I'd never done it before and it was something I'd wanted to do. Yeah. And and I think... I think I could convince Justin to do it, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. I think Dan was the impetus behind doing it, um, but the preparation for India was certainly a prime motivation. Not that there was any real reason to shave your head and go to India. Not like that was a thing, but it was just something that we thought would be cool. Like, hey, we're going to India. Let's shave our heads. Right, right. <laughs> and let's get our ears pierced. Well, let's, yes, we should talk about that. So, yes, we all shaved our heads. And then, as I remember it... Uh, I don't know when the decision was made. I remember something relating to it the night before. I just remember us being in a club kind of atmosphere and setting and knowing the next day we're going to get our ears pierced. I just didn't know if it was then we made the decision or earlier, but we were all in. The three of us, yeah, we're going to go out and get our ears pierced. But I'm not sure we we handled it in the wisest way. Yeah. No, not at all. We didn't do the research no. that, as you mentioned we could have Googled, you know, 20 years on. I mean, I think we figured that because the head shaving experience went so smoothly, notwithstanding <laughs> the fact that the guy used a straight razor, no shaving cream, with just one pass over our head and, you know, dip it in a little bit of water. And we we're like, that was a piece of cake. Yeah, I think the general attitude back then was we, things had gone pretty well. And we just thought, you know what? Everybody's talking about how dangerous all this stuff is and how crazy it is. You know, we I think we felt a little bit naively invincible. 
It's like, oh yeah, now we'll get our ears pierced. And the guy's like, yeah, this this will be a great piercing for you, blah, blah. It was <laughs> silver instead of stainless steel. And it turned out to be a very uh, <laughs> bad idea because our ears just hurt like hell for a long time. <laughs> Three months of pus and, and stinging. Yeah, and you just couldn't sleep on you couldn't sleep on the side your ear was on. You just wake up in writhing pain. Yeah. Well, so but I and I remember to add to that, I think I even had an attitude that oh, we know what we're doing. We're not like casually going to do this. We know we know what we're doing. We want the the the, the hollow needle. You know, that's the proper pro way to pierce. Uh-huh. So I thought, yeah, we got this made. We are pros on this. Not thinking, oh, right, the metal you actually shove in your ear. You right. really got to pay yeah. attention to that. And and let's face it, ear lobes are fairly forgiving. You could probably put a rusty screw or a dull pencil and and shove something, and it, it'll get through there. But it's really that the cartilage, the upper ear. And and yeah. I think the other thing is knowing that even if it were done properly, it does take longer to heal. So telling yourself, oh yeah, it takes a bit longer. Oh, it, it, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. But as Dan said, when three months go by, and I'm pretty sure I had dreams that my ear was turning black and falling off, we probably could have uh, picked up on that a bit earlier. So I remember, I think I was the first one to wave the white flag and take the piercing out. I didn't, never really was in love with it. Um, and I think after, I don't know how long it was, maybe maybe it was about three months. I was like, eh, I'm just over it. So I, it's hurting. Yeah, I could do it right. And I could continue with it, but I don't have any love or hate for it, but it's just kind of annoying me. So I just took it out. I think you guys kept it for, for longer, right? Both of you? Yeah. So I know with me, I remember because I had, had the shaved head um, and I was a day or two behind on the hair with that too. So I had a very bald and white head. So I remember going after a piercing, I want to get some kind of skull cap or something to cover my head during the day in the sun. And I remember going to some booth and I was like trying something on and some the, the vendor there was going to try and help me. So he was bringing his hands and banging my ear and I'm wincing yeah. in pain. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And, and he's looking at me like, no, I'll help. And I'm like, no, get your hands off me. And he's looking at me, are you bleeding? And I said, yes, I am. And I'm just walking away. But I remember, yeah, the, the sleeping on one side, the pain. But then it got a bit better or at least less painful. And then I, I think I was in Malaysia. I'm sure I was in Malaysia. And I remember getting an email from one of you. Dan got the professional advice, get that out. Yeah. And I got an email from one of you that said, because I was going to stick it out. I was going to say, hey, I just got to wait, you know, until it all just heals. And uh, I got an email saying, take that out of your ear now. And it was done. I left the one in the lobe, but the cartilage one was out. <laughs> yeah, it really just never got better. No, me. no, it never, <laughs> never did. No, Going back to my recollection of things. So for, I was excited to go to India. And we all were. And that India had been a big thing for me. However, I was coming to it from thinking I was only going to be in Nepal for a couple of weeks and then moving on to India, but in fact, spending two months in Nepal. So I was a little behind schedule and budget. And then I had this very awkward thing I was doing because when I left Japan, I closed down all my bank accounts. So basically, I just had all my money in the world. I went to some place that had like safe deposit boxes and in like a bank, and I just put all my cash in there. So when I went off, I just took what I would need for that stretch. (laughs) So when I was at that point, at the end of my trip in Nepal, I was like, all right, I've got India ahead of me, but I've spent so much more time and money than I'd planned for this stretch. To, uh, anyways, it all worked out. We had a great week in Kathmandu for the time we hung out. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest things you see that are different now than 20, since 20 years ago when you traveled? Uh, the phone. The phone is the obvious choice. The computer in your pocket. Oh, yeah. It's the big travel difference. 
God, all those lonely planets we wouldn't have had to carry around. <laughs> I have permanent spine damage from the the India lonely planet in my pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, last probably six trips I've taken, uh, ranging from maybe f- a month to three months in the last few years, um, I've taken a thirty liter pack and mm-hmm. really kind of done away with everything. I do carry a laptop because I, I need to work. Uh, but uh, the laptop and phone are maybe like half the way to the pack, and you really—it's—it's it's more easily done with one type of climate, hot climate, preferably. Um, I have stretched it over into you know like October in in Ukraine and Moldova, so quasi winter weather. Um, I still think 30 is the way to go. It's just so liberating to to be able to be with your pack at all times, and you know when you got your work with you, you kind of almost have to. Uh, just because you don't want it to get stolen, I don't, I don't really want to put my laptop up on a on the top of a bus. What about you, Dan? What are the biggest changes you've seen? Uh, well, I mean, for for me personally, the biggest change has been that I have a career yeah. now, and I haven't taken a trip longer than probably three weeks in fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. But you know, as far as globally, you know, the, the state of travel generally now. I think it's just way easier. And I think we recognized 20 years ago how much easier it was for us than it would have been for people 20 years before us. The infrastructure is often there. The internet has made things way easier for for both sort of visitors and locals. And just getting around, you know, with a phone, you can do everything. Hey, Dan, remember our joke? We would always talk about cafes. Like, hey, they got the internet in there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> but a tool like Google Translate, like Justin mentioned, is, is a game changer, right? Like, remember the little phrase books we'd have to carry yeah. around? Trying to sound out like some whatever nonsense and then try and interpret what they said back. And today you can have the computer do it. I mean, it might not always be 100% accurate, but it's getting better and it will get better. Yeah. And, and partially as a result of that, you know, I'm sure you guys have experienced this and everybody knows it, but, you know, it's harder and harder to find the truly remote place where there's there's no tourist or, or even almost impossible to find a place, easily find a place where no other foreigner has been, uh, even even semi-recently, you know. So it's always, for me, it, it um, done a lot of travel in Africa and um, Middle East and in some places where aren't that frequently traveled. But even there, you, you, you do see travelers as Jay, we were talking about, you know, like 20 years ago, it was a pretty big deal to go to even Thailand yeah. and certainly to, you know, Cam- my God, he went to Laos. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> what was that like? Whereas now it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to do Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, I'm, you know, four weeker, you know, maybe maybe I'll go to Myanmar. Um, so it's just it's so much harder to find that that sort of untrammeled place these days. And I think that's a, a lot of times when people who I want to be more adventurous in their travel. There's that dream is, oh, I'm nobody's been here before. I'm truly off the beaten path. And it is hard to <laughs> truly find that. But then also there's a little bit in how much am I being this? How dare these people modernize? I want <laughs> I want them to create an experience so I can feel I'm authentically in the middle of nowhere. You know, right. so 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 there is that element of finding what is authentic, whatever it is, whatever that connection is. Like I said, the connection with the human local, the the local human connection with the locals or connection with other travelers, but trying to find those real connections or experiences. Because with a lot of the countries that we were going to, especially when you talk about like Cambodia, which we were not the first ones to go to Cambodia, but it was still just a few years away from really being opened up from being, you know, a, a pre- yeah, they had one, they had one major, they had one highway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I went back five years later. 
to Angkor Wat. And there'd be things that are roped off and or built up. And it's like, I just wandered around this place. And I, I mean, I'm glad they should protect it because it's amazing and they, they got to protect mm-hmm. it from it. Yeah, people were taking t- people were taking bricks and stuff from there. Ex- exactly. So, I mean, they, they got to protect it. But how lucky was I or were we that we could just wander around and touch things? And man, I was climbing all over these places. Nobody was around. It was yeah, awesome. Absolutely. I want to leave you with two things today. Number one, do not use sterling silver for a new body piercing. Number two, did you catch that? When Justin and Dan said that their plan was to travel till the money ran out? And you know how my plan was also to travel till the money ran out? There are many things I'd recommend you do in your life. Riding on top of a bus through the windy roads of Nepal, starting a Japanese pop band just to see if you can outperform a rival group, But you know what would top all that? You know what my number one recommendation would be? Take a trip where you just travel till the money runs out. You'll hear more from Dan and Justin in a future episode when we meet up again in Chiang Mai, Thailand. If you're listening to these shows as they're released, you'll have to wait a couple weeks for the next episode, taking a quick break to line some things up for the second half of this series. If you discover this podcast sometime after episode 11 has been released, then you can safely ignore this and it won't affect your binge listening one bit. Thank you, as always, for taking precious time out of your day, your jog, your commute, your road trip, washing dishes, whatever it is you're doing right now. I appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Drop me a line at Club at honeyroastedtshirts.com or visit honeyroastedtshirts.com for extras, the emails, the pictures, and more. If you listen to this podcast... If you've read the blog or read the emails, maybe you heard the story about a time I participated in an early morning photo shoot on a helicopter pad in Bangkok. Well, you just might be a member of the J Luck Club. Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. I'll leave you with a few nuggets from my journal. Raw, uncensored. October 29th, monkeying around. Up, out, and about. Go to Monkey Temple. Monkeys. Later, meet up with Justin and Dan. They shave their heads. They said I should too. I say, okay. We go out to dinner. Bertrand gets super excited about Justin's tales of Thailand. End of day. October 30th. Visa for you, visa for me. Say goodbye to Bert. I go to Indian Visa, sit on the curb with many others. 9.30, gate opens. Stand in line. Another line. Another line. Done. With phase one. Back to Tamil. Find new accommodation. 
a nice dive place reminiscent of Kaosan Road guest houses. I happily pay a hundred rupee a night for it. Meet Dan. He escorts me to get my head shaved. Booyah! Head to dinner. Baldy goes to sleep. October 31st. Planned to go to Bhaktapur, but wanted a hat for sun protection. Ended up befriending the owner. His mom cooks me dalbat. They invite me to their village. Cool. Bump into the boys. We drift east, well out of the tourist zone. Fun. Stumble across a, a super high-grade hotel that's in an old temple. We ask about rooms and are shown the suites. We tell them we'll think about it. Lunch. Chat with two students. Back, chill, go to dinner. Good Tibetan grub. Dan, Jess, and I go out to some bars and clubs, do some dancing. I return to a darkened alley. I return to my guest house, a darkened alley, at the end of which I discover a locked gate. 25 minutes later, I'm finally let in and locked in. Ooh, I really hope there's no fire. November 1st. Eat, email, meet the boys. We will get our ears pierced today. I explain my needle-over-gun philosophy. They agree. We go to body-piercing shops, but they don't have earrings. We go to a jewelry shop, find their limited selection of rings. I'm glad I'm finally doing this, but man, we picked the wrong country. In Thailand, we would have been in and out in seconds. Finally, we go and get stuck. Me, one up, one down. Starving, three bald-headed badasses go chow down. We go our separate ways. I write some emails. My ear hurts. I can't sleep on my left side. Ooh, I met the Swiss couple. I also saw Susan from Bote Odor, the volunteer project. I got her email, though afterwards, I'm really not sure why. November 2nd. Decide to hang on my own today. In the evening, I meet up with the guys. We may meet up tomorrow, otherwise maybe in India. Go, go meet up with my new friends. They insist I stay at their place tonight. They make me food, we play cards. Around 9.30 we decide to crash, at which point I decide, I think I'll go back to my own place to sleep, mostly because of my ears and pain. Decide to wander around in search of some food, when I happened to run into Pam and Anne. They were on the Annapurna track with me. Took them a second to recognize me with my new hairstyle and bleeding ear. We find a place to eat, and guess who's there? The Swiss couple! I'm pretty sure this is the last time I'll see them. However, I keep thinking that. Bhaktapur is cool. No cars, old school, nice. I wander, drift, engage in touts and friends, and take pictures of erotic temple carvings. I buy some carvings of my own. I also buy a, a kukuri gurkha knife, some paper lanterns, and a small drum. November 6th, head to the post office to mail my stuff. They recommend I don't send the drum, so I guess I'll keep it with me. They wrap everything in cardboard and sew it all up, and the end result looked like a lumpy, uncomfortable pillow. And at six kilo, a very expensive pillow. Oh well, it's on its way home. November 7th, off to get my visa. I've been approved. Get my ticket for a bus, check out, grab some lunch, wander around Durbar Square to say goodbye. Pick up a visa, dinner, snacks, yada yada. Get on the bus. Cramped and uncomfortable, someone was puking. I tried to sleep, which is difficult enough on a bus, 
but with my ear situation, even more so. Well, so Justin, I remember that when the last time we saw each other was I was in finished my trip. I was back in California. I was up in Berkeley and you passed through for like a day, a few hours or a night. I don't remember, but we met briefly in Berkeley. I remember being at my friend Colin's house, which probably means I was sleeping on his couch, which probably means I still didn't have an apartment yet. So this would have been July, August, maybe of that. Would 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 you did you pass? Through this? Yeah, that makes sense because I think I came back. I think I came back briefly to the U.S. Um, and I met my parents in San Francisco. So yeah, I think that's right. And I think we went. Did we go to this the Cal Stadium? And yeah, yeah, we went to the stadium. That's right. And I remember you t- meeting your parents too. So yes, you were in the Bay Area briefly passing through. So that 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 syncs up time wise. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, I don't know if you know, both Dan and I actually worked a summer in Cambodia. Um, Dan was there in 2003. I was there in 2004. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. this sounds extremely familiar. Yes. Yeah, so we went back and both worked, you know, for like there three months in, in Phnom Penh. And I think both, Dan, you went up to Siem Reap again, right? Um, I went to Sihunikville. I don't know that I went back to CM Reap. Okay, yeah, I went to Sihunikville, yeah. I, I, I did both, and you know, it's, uh, we worked the same organization, and Dan actually helped me get that job. Yeah, I was, it was amazing to see the difference. Dan, the last time I saw you was after, soon after I'd moved out to D.C., and you were in Georgetown or D.C. for something with some law school. Yeah, it was an international law conference. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I knew something like that, a law conference, something. And I think you and some people you're with were talking about Cambodia. So so I think, yes. is, would that be right? Okay. At least one of them was yes. there with me that summer in Cambodia. Got it, got it. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, so yes, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Internets. Hmm. Five metals and materials to avoid in new body piercings. Number one, sterling silver. Do not wear sterling silver jewelry in unhealed body piercings. Sterling silver is made from 92.5% silver and 7.5% of another metal, usually copper. While copper makes the silver more durable, it's also more likely to react with your skin. Since sterling silver is still soft enough to scratch, nicks in the jewelry are a breeding ground for bacteria. Sterling oxidizes when it comes in contact with body tissues and fluids. Tarnish, the end result, is something you do not want in an open wound. Huh. Sure would have been nice to know that 20 years ago. Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. Don't worry, none of that will be on the exam. See you next time. But for now, I think I'm... Dun, dun, dun.